This is The Playbook. We are blessed to have uh, an incredible CEO joining us right now. He's raised millions of dollars, but is changing people's lives in a way that we never thought would be needed or existed. Uh, he is the king of social media health. He is the king of risk mitigation and technology in social media, creating a company that you see at every stadium arena, sports event, including when the Padres beat up on the Phillies. You'll see <laughs> right there a big life brand sign. If you have a company or you yourself are worried about what content has been captured and taken out of context, because that's the majority of the danger of social media. It's not like you have or are hiding some sort of, you know, flaw in your past. Most people, what happens is, is that you have content that's taken out of context. And that's why I'm a big investor in this company. That's why we have unbelievable people like an Austin Eckler, who we do stuff with and Michael Chandler and a variety of people who have invested in cleaning up our past, what's called social media health and also risk mitigation technology, an incredible business. Welcome the Philly fanatic himself. TJ Clazy, what's going on? Dave, what is up? Thank you for having me this morning. Well, the first thing about having you this morning is winners win by showing up. And you had a baby nine days ago, almost to the hour, I think. And yeah. um, in those nine days, uh, not only have you spent time to put attention and intention on your family, uh, but you, for your business and for your family in support of your business, you flew out to San Diego for the uh, championship series. You flew to Las Vegas for business meetings. You appeared on a TV show and then took the red eye back. And if that wasn't enough, when you were asked to be here to pour into the community here on Clubhouse, without blinking, you said, what time? And uh, off the plane, probably the first after kissing your baby and kissing your wife and kissing your other children, you probably jumped on here. Why was it important for you to show up here when you have so much else going on where other people would have never said yes and other people would not balance their family in that yes? Because Dave, showing up is where it all starts. You know, you're never gonna accomplish anything, whether it's for your family, whether it's for business, whether it's in school, without showing up when you need to be there. And for me, for work is work to provide for my family. And sometimes that balance means hopping on a plane seven days after you have a baby because not only do my family count on me, we have 60 employees that count on me. I have over $20 million worth of investors' money that I'm responsible for. Um, so I have to balance a lot of those things, but it's a lot easier to balance those things when you show up. And to your point, yeah, I just walked in the house about 15 minutes ago after a red-eye flight, kissed my wife, kissed both my little girls, fed the baby a bottle, and now here I am upstairs in my office um, talking to everybody here. Because I, I just think it's super important to be out there, be in front of people, and continue to share what people are doing. And not only showing up in person, but we show up perpetually now because of social media. And it's not easy, uh, not only to be cool easy, but it's not easy to show up in the correct branding and communication yeah. because we never know what's been captured. Uh, and even to the point where, you know, what was captured was us doing something good, but taken out of context, yep. it looks differently. And so... 
you know, what drew me uh, to you is I dealt with this in what's traditionally uh, risk in, in reputation management of athletes and celebrities and entertainers for over 35 years, dealing with, you know, different discretionary activities and how do we deal with that? Well, now there's a whole nother layer for two reasons. One, it can be taken out of context. See, a DUI is a DUI. And there was always exaggeration and miscommunication, even when someone got a DUI on how to get out in front of it. But not only do we have the actual event, but it can be taken out of context, but it is amplified so much further. You know, at the biggest names I had, you may get a ticker across the bottom that so-and-so was arrested for blank. And, you know, pretty soon the next ticker item came and eventually it would dissipate, dissolve, or disappear. There is no dissipation, dissolving, and disappearing. It's continually being sent and sent and sent and sent and sent and sent. What are some of the impacts that this mitigation of risk today has on the average individual, a college student, a high school student, an employee, you know, applying for a job, or even worse, an employee that already has a job with your company yeah, that's hey, talking to a customer. Anybody, you're right. Anybody that's listening right now should be paying attention to their social media. No matter what your goals are, whether you're looking to be an influencer, whether you're looking to be an entrepreneur, the CEO of a company, whether you're in high school, just looking to go to college, we all have strong individual personal brands nowadays, thanks to social media. And the faster you can realize that you have a brand and that you need to protect it, the better you're gonna do in life, no matter what it is you're looking to achieve. If you think about all of the most successful companies in the world, the Fortune 500 companies, the most successful entrepreneurs, they have all spent tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to build a brand and a reputation, make sure that brand aligns with them. We all have that ability to do that for ourselves through social media. We should all be building a brand. And look, the average person listening right now, no, you don't need to spend $10 million to build a brand for yourself on social media. But you should be cognizant that there's no stuff from your past that could be taken out of context. And you should be aware of what you're posting to say, hey, is what I'm posting helping make me look better? You know, you just hit right on the head. If you're looking to go to college, every single college looks at applicant social media. So even if you don't have something bad on your social media, a great example I give all the time, I have a three-year-old daughter, Nicolette. One of our office managers has a three-year-old daughter. They're best friends. We live in the same neighborhood. They go to the same school. As they grow up together, if their daughter takes her social media seriously and is posting high character things about sports, athletic, academic, family, and all my daughter's ever doing is posting pictures of her hanging out with her friends and what she's eating, though there's nothing bad on my daughter's social media, their daughter's looks better. If it comes down to the two of them that are getting the last acceptance to Princeton, their daughter's going to get it because she has a better looking social media. If they're going for the same job, they're the last two people going for that job, their daughter's going to have a strategic advantage over mine. So what we're trying to help people realize is that you do have a personal brand. And I think the most eye-opening thing is out of every single user that has ever gone to our platform and cleaned their social media, the average person deletes over 18 posts. So that means every one of us listening, Dave, your employees, my people, the pro sports teams that we work with, the publicly traded companies that we work with, the colleges that we work with, 
on average, every single person deletes 18 posts. And they're not bad things. Dave, you hit it on the head earlier. They're not people that are secretly bad people. They're trying to cover up for themselves. The very few percentage of people out there that are bad believe in what they say. And they'll stand behind it. That's not what this is here for. This is to help make sure something isn't taken out of context from 18 years ago. Make sure that there's not something inappropriate of you. Hey, maybe it was okay and acceptable to be doing a keg stand when you were 21 years old at college. There's, thank God there weren't cameras and photos uh, and phones available when I was 21 and in college. But there's probably some pictures of me doing a keg stand out there. Not that there's anything wrong with that kid doing that, but do you really need that on your social media? Do you need that potential employer saying that? And that's what we're really helping people with. You know, just closing out before I let you go back to your family and your business uh, there in Pennsylvania, uh, because you're going to need your energy when the Padres beat the Phillies tonight. Um, Come on. <laughs> I'll be down there, and I will be sending you a video of the Phillies crowd going nuts. <laughs> that's so beautiful. But more importantly, um, you talked a little bit about statistics of 100% of colleges look at social media. And we know that number is only going to go up. So even if it's not 100, I always say 99% of statistics are always made up. Uh, that's my favorite statistic. Um, <laughs> but you have more experience at this than anybody I know. And, you know, I've invested my time, my value, and my money in your company because I believe the importance of this for everyone. I've been in reputation management for a long time. What, what do you think the percentages are on each of those levels? You know, are companies really looking at when you're applying for a job? Are they looking at your social media? And are companies looking at your employees today at their social media? And more importantly, do you really think the clients, you know, when they have a sales rep coming in, that the clients are looking at the social media of the sales rep who may be one of the lowest guys on the, or women on the totem pole, but they're representing the company and, you know, that keg stand or that funny dance or that sexy picture may not be aligned with their values do you think it actually could cost you business? Dave, here, here's some great statistics. According to SHRM, the Society for Human Resources Management, over 92% of companies look at your social media during the hiring process. Over nine out of 10 companies look at your social media. And another phenomenal study that was done by CareerBuilder, and this was in 2017. So this is five years ago. And imagine how much it's probably improved since then. When they did that study with 2,500 hiring managers, over 50% of them admitted to A, looking at current employees' social media to see what they're doing. And 48% of them, nearly half, admitted that they did not give someone a job because of their social media. Over or nearly half of hiring managers did not offer a job because of their social media. And that was five years ago. Chances are those numbers are up considerably now. Companies are looking at your social media if folks are looking at it as potential clients too look there's not a single person that i do business with that i don't look them up on social media before i meet with them a i want to make sure this isn't a waste of my time and effort because dave like we talked about i will show up i will put in the time and the energy i want to make sure it's not a waste of my time and energy but also i look at people's social media because i want to get a leg up on them you know, a great example I do is if you, when it comes to sales, you always want to mimic someone, be a chameleon, be like them, feel comfortable with them. You know, if I know I'm going out for a drink with somebody, I'll look through their social media to see if I see them with a common drink. You know, I had a drink with somebody a couple months ago, and 
I noticed on his social media, he always seemed to have a Miller Lite in his hand if he was going out. So when we went up to the bar, I said, I'll take a Miller Lite. He's like, oh, that's my favorite. I'll take one too. Subconsciously, we just got closer and I have a better chance of closing that deal. So there's a lot you can learn from, from looking at folks' social media. But yeah, they're definitely looking at even the most low-level people in your company. Sometimes that could be entry-level sales. Your company could be missing out on sales that you're not even aware of because of what that person's posting on their social media. Absolutely, including whether they're a Phillies fan or, or a Pottery <laughs> fan. You can yeah, always play that, play that chameleon game as well. But I think you make a great point about reputation management and mitigation of risk. It's not just the negative. It's when we start paying attention and giving intention to the perpetual nature of content, our own personal brands for whatever size of an audience or community, our personal brands impact, whether it's professionally or personally, we also have the advantage by using life brand to manipulate those facts, those pieces of content outside of the realm of social media into an advantageous position. And that's part of the reason I wanted to have you on here to share the importance of reputation management, uh, risk management, health management of your brand, regardless of its five people. If you only have five people, I think it's even more critical it's to manage your social media. Dave, I agree with you. If Whether you have 5,000 employees or five, you should be using our technology to help protect those employees and help protect. If you have that brand, so again, whether five-person company, 5,000-person company, your brand's important. Well, all those employees that work for you are micro-brands that represent your brand, whether you like it or not. You need to invest in them. You need to mitigate that risk. But yeah, to your point, if you're only a five-person company, one miscue on social media could kill your company. That could get you canceled in today's cancel culture. Yeah, a huge company has a better chance of surviving than one employee's misstep. Um, so never think they're too small to invest in your company's brand and the personal brands. Anybody that's listening right now can go to our website. You can go to www.lifebrand.life and get a free social media check, kind of like a free credit check. We'll let you connect your social media accounts for free. In a matter of moments, our AI will fly through, identify any potentially problematic posts. And we say potentially problematic because it's up to you if it's offensive or not. Maybe you don't care that you dropped the F-bomb in a post. Maybe that's part of your brand and that's fine. You know, some people ask why we don't just automatically delete harmful content, but we give the users the chance to delete it on their own. Because if we deleted it, that's censorship. And we want no part of that. We're not trying to say what you should or shouldn't do. We're just trying to say, hey, look, these are the types of posts that have gotten people in trouble. Maybe you should edit it. Maybe you should delete it. And you can do all of that right from our platform. You don't need to scroll through years worth of social media posts. It's super easy. And like I said, with the average user, deleting over 18 posts. I think that's proof right there that everybody listening should go check out their social media. Yeah, go for that free assessment. I love that, a credit check of your reputation yeah. and your brand. There's too many chancellors of cancelers out there. And so let's combat the chancellors of cancelers by identifying what could be potentially uh, either pro or against our own brands. That enlightenment and alignment and awareness is essential. It has an economic benefit, and we can articulate that quite easily, whether you're a high school, college student, or an employee, or a boss, it's, or a brand already in yeah. entertainment, sports, et cetera. We have the biggest brands in sports are diving into the process, obviously, because they have an economic uh, 
total economic obvious gain by making sure that the micro brands that they spend millions of dollars on are protected and promoted, not punished. TJ Kalazi, a well-balanced entrepreneur. Thank you, my friend. Go enjoy the day. And I appreciate you showing up uh, for all of us here. Thank you so much. I got the incredible Simon Cohen here, president of Penco Global. He's an author and a speaker as well, but we're both in a mission uh, to empower happiness and we're both doing it in different ways. We have different vernaculars and different vocabularies, but a general trajectory of pouring into the world to make it a better place. Uh, in February, Simon, you came out with a book called Fulfilled, uh, specifically right. for entrepreneurs, the secrets for entrepreneurs in search of not only success, but also happiness. And this is a challenge, as you can see, TJ, a new father, traveling all over eight days. I was thinking, oh God, Simon could not be positioned better to talk about the combination and reconciliation of high performance, happy people, and how we uh, utilize different pillars in order to be fulfilled. What's been your journey uh, that you could share with us to help teach people and empower them how to be fulfilled? Sure, first of all, thank you so much for having me here, David, I'm, I'm thrilled. And I'm looking forward to meet you in Monterrey and then in Mexico City on March 2nd. You know, I'm just hosting you there. Thanks to your audience to, to, to be here with us. So um, there's, a, there's a part of life where you can just accelerate at the, uh, you know, at the bottom. You have to just go all the way. You have to go, go, go. But there's suddenly one part of life when you have to stop because your body is not reacting the same way. And you have to slow down and you have to slow down to speed up. Because life is like that and your body will, you know, just uh, uh, bring you the invoice later on. So we need to just uh, understand that we're humans, that we're here for a legacy, that we're here to live a life, a fulfilled life, and not only to just uh, make money. Um, we need to understand the purpose and why are we doing things. So when you understand that, you can just be in balance. And when you're in balance, you can be at peace. And when you're at peace, you can be happy. So there is a difference, uh, in my opinion, um, between being happy and having a fulfilled life, okay? Happiness is bi-dimensional. I can be happy for being here, but when I turn around and I see my friends, I cannot be happy, right? Or I just don't like them. I can be happy with my friends and I cannot be happy with my work. I can be happy at work and I cannot be happy at home. So having a fulfilled life, and that's why the title of my book is Fulfilled, it's when you see yourself in the mirror, and you're at peace. When you look at your family and you're at peace, when you look at your kids and you're at peace, when you look at your work and you're at peace, and when you go 360 and then you come back to the mirror and when you look at yourself again at the mirror, you're at peace. And you know you don't have to be overexcited, you just have to be at peace and accept what you, what you are, who you are and what you've done. So that's more or less my theory there in, in regards of uh, fulfillment. And in fulfillment and in happiness, and you mentioned the duality of happiness, that's why I study time every day, right? If we could put a quantitative measure to our fulfillment, meaning what amount of time do I feel happy and what amount of time do I feel at dis-ease? And you mentioned ease, right? Do this feeling of ease or peace and mindfulness and wellness and happiness combined put us at ease uh, instead of dis-ease. 
And usually an extraordinary amount of disease creates a catalyst for us to examine how much time are we spending at ease and how much time are we spending at disease. Was there a defining moment or inflection point in your life? Uh, was there that defining moment or inflection point in your life uh, of disease that created this journey of ease? Sure. Um, you know the story, and that's in my book. And I was uh, just a workaholic. I was working 20-hour shifts every day. I went on a business trip to China, and uh, I found myself sick. And um, doing a dinner with some people from Japan that were in Hong Kong with me for dinner, and my with, with me and my wife, I felt a big pain in my chest, and um, I fainted. I went to the hospital, and they, they diagnosed me with something called Wolf Parkinson White, and then you know uh, a lot of stress. And so you were was, only 32 years old um, at that time, right. so you were only 32 at that time. Right. I was 32 years old and I was just all in with business. Everything that matters back then was money, was being wealthy, was trying to buy more things and trying to have more money in my bank account because my father used to have like a roller coaster talking about his economical life, right? So he was uh, just bankrupt one time, once in one point of time, and then he was super wealthy and then he just collapsed again. So I really thought that if I worked hard, and I saved a, a fair amount of money, that will not happen to me. So yeah, I suffered for a, a, a full year trying to recover. They gave me antidepressive pills and anti-anxiety pills and all these uh, freaking medicines that they kill you more than what they help you sometimes because you don't need them. You, ha you can control illness from your mind. And um, so I went to, to, to a place in the Caribbean. We rented a place um, in the middle of nowhere and by the fifth or sixth day, um, the power went out at night in this, in this beautiful place. And the island was totally dark. So my daughters were scared. So we came out on the beach. And that's exactly what I had this aha moment. I had my three daughters in my belly, my wife in my back, just watching the, you know, the beautiful night. And the stars were, were just incredible. It was a night full of stars. And I, with, with my daughters in my belly and, and hugging them, I said, you know, I'm the stupidest person in the world trying to just uh, search only for money. I have to search for a purpose or a meaning. So we decided to change. And that's where high performance, happy people philosophy was born. You know, with that in mind, I started creating this super great philosophy that has been awarded by Harvard Business School, by London Business School, by everywhere in the world. I don't know, for me, it's super easy, but for some people it's like kind of uh, rocket science. But for me, you know, high performance, happy people, high performance come first, and then you are happy, and then you can just uh, have a legacy. <clears throat> and why do so many people uh, get confused uh, about, Simon, the reconciliation between being happy and having high performance? Uh, there's you know, a differentiator that a lot of people who are at high performance are miserable, you know, from athletes, celebrities, entertainers, to especially business executives and entrepreneurs that do sure. what they think is 24 hours of activity and a trajectory towards their economic performance. Um, what was the biggest lesson that you learned in this reconciliation of high performance can actually create more fulfillment and more time spent in the ease or in happiness? Absolutely, uh, David, you know, you cannot have a happy life if you're not happy to work. You cannot stop living and then what to work just uh, suffer there and then come back to your happy life. It's, it's impossible. 
Life is too short to be happy only the weekends. And we're dying every day. So time is just moving forward. And, and you cannot stop that sand clock, you know, that they turned around the day we were born. Uh, the thing is that you don't know how much sand does your clock has. So you have to just enjoy as much as you can every minute, every day. And part of life is work. So if you're not happy at work, <clears throat> the probabilities that you have a happy life are super, super low. So this is exactly what happens. Um, we created this model of high performance, happy people. Again, high performance comes first, where you focus on wellness, mindfulness, happiness, and then you will become a high performance, a high performer as a consequence, okay? Wellness, sleep well, eat well, exercise, as easy as that. In my company, it's mandatory to have sleeping seminars. You have to learn how to sleep. If you don't know how to sleep, then you cannot perform, right? Then the second one, mindfulness, to have your brain at peace. Just, you know, be grateful, be thankful. If you're a religious, pray. If you're not, just meditate for a while. Just have your brain, you know, just uh, slowing down. The third one is happiness. And happiness is not dancing on top of the desks, drinking, you know, beer or whatever. It's, don't confuse there the, the situation. Happiness is to be a giver, to help others, to have a purpose, to have a meeting, okay? And also you can just have uh, laugh out loud uh, at, at, at the office. You can laugh, you can smile, you can be in a good mood. And the consequence, if you have all these things together, um, is that you will be a high performer. Absolutely. And I think of one little additive to that amazing philosophy, strategy of high performance, happy people, is not only to elevate others, to elevate yourself. The two fastest ways to be happy is to help other people get what they want, but also ask for help. I think sure. a lot of people discount, especially in the corporate environment, what I prefer to call the activity we get paid for. We discount the humility, the radical humility that is incorporated in asking for help. A company that asks for help is a high performing company. The company Absolutely. that asks for help from the top down, the company that asks for help in radical humility are the most highest performing companies and happiest companies I know, which is the companies that you lead. And I can't wait to be down in Mexico City. I think I get to see you in Monterey first, uh, coming up here, but in the spring. And we're gonna invite everybody down uh, to Mexico City if you haven't been there. Uh, unbelievable city, one of the world's greatest cities if you haven't done there, especially in the category of people and food, two of my favorite things. Good people and great food, I love it. Simon Cohn, at Simon Cohn's, plural, president of Henkel Global, author, speaker. Let's live fulfilled life. Let's utilize high performance, happy people philosophy, and we will be well, mindful, and happy. Simon, uh, join me soon. We'll have you back very soon. Thanks for joining us all on our community. All the best, brother. Giving Singh you a big hug. And remember what the Dalai Lama said, taking care of others or helping others is the ultimate way to find your own happiness, okay? So please, you know, that's what he calls wise selfishness. So help others, give them a big smile. Smiling is free. It's uh, the same language, so just be a giver. I love it. Smiling and gratitude are definitely uh, free, and I'm giving both to you. So thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Likewise. All the best. Blessings, David. Bye -bye. Thank you, my brother. All right, Simon Cohn's at Simon Cohn's.
Simon Cohen fulfilled, uh, and he's fulfilling us today with his wisdom. Uh, David Pascal, I'm going to bring on here. He's Dr. Uh, David Pascal, and he's an author and speaker as well. But I got to know David, you guys, uh, speaking of high performance. Um, somebody told me about the miracle man and the miracle doctor, and uh, I'm blessed to be on the Olympic Committee and work with Olympians. And they said, what doctor is most uh, involved or participates most in the most gold medals? And, you know, I really couldn't figure out who or how, you know, what surgeon it was. And they said, no, not a surgeon. Uh, it's the miracle doctor. And uh, this Olympian specialist and works with the Andretti family, works with high performing CEOs. Uh, I didn't believe it. And so um, I had to witness it one and then try it two. And uh, as he has worked with, you know, my biggest sports entertainment and billionaire clients, millionaire clients, entrepreneur clients, uh, including my employees, I will tell you the only, in a matter of minutes, jaw-dropping ease. Like, that's the only way I can describe it. And so I want to bring our friend uh, on, uh, Dr. Pascal's just blessing us, because I want to figure out what the heck he does and how he does it uh, with so many people so quickly, uh, you know, and uh, he uses light and a variety of other things. So Dr. Pascal, the miracle uh, man himself, uh, our United States Olympic team, and I, uh, as a huge USA fan, thank you for allowing athletes who never could even show up to the Olympics to show up. Um, welcome uh, to our community. Can't hear it. Oh, you can't hear? Uh, yeah, I can hear. I can hear you. Oh, there you go. Good. So, Dr. Pascal, you know, explain to people what you do, because uh, I've seen, I call it jaw-dropping. That's the only way I can describe it, because everyone I've ever seen you heal in minutes, by the way, not days, weeks, months, and years, but in minutes, all I, I'm watching their face, and I don't really understand how you do it, but their jaw drops. <laughs> so, I call you the miracle man, the jaw-dropper. Uh, what exactly are you doing uh, as a doctor so quickly in an uninva uninvasive way what, and you're just miracle making. What, how, how do you do it? Well, well, uh, thank you very much for having me here, David. Um, yeah, I think it's all about communication. The thing that I believe that heals the body is ourself, our own life force, that internal spirit, our soul. Everyone has their own term for that. And since it is our own life force that heals any injury, if you have an injury, to my mind, our life force must be out of communication with that part. Let's say someone sprains an ankle and it's chronic, it's not healing up. So to me, there's a lack of uh, communication between our own life force and the ankle. So I developed a technique to reestablish that communication. And a simple example of that is if you just touch your elbow, then instantly you have more awareness of your elbow and you are your awareness. So by taking that simple concept and extrapolating it with touch and cold lasers and other modalities, electromagnetic fields and microcurrent, then we're putting more attention on the injured area and then the person basically heals themselves and I take the credit.
Yeah, that and you are humbly doing that because what's so interesting though is you're not, you know, Sadhguru, you're not Master Shaw, you know, you're not my tracing calligraphy wearing beads guy. You're a Western doctor. Right. You, right. You, right. And, and although, you know, the description of what you do, you're a Western, you, you speed up the process if somebody has surgery on an ankle or a knee uh, or even cut their head open or wh whatever it is. You, you don't deny that there's a need for Western medicine, uh, but there are some ailments that don't require Western techniques. Uh, if somebody, for example, has a pain in their hip or a chronic pain in their back that doesn't require surgery, you can heal those things instantly as well. How do you reconcile your Western trained medical background with this life force? What other people, not me, but other people may say, what's up with woo woo miracle man there? Uh, you know, how, how, putting a blinking light on me to access my life force to heal me faster. Give me some true pragmatic data as a Western doctor. Sure, absolutely. So one of the things that I use is a cold laser. So a cold laser, there's two types of lasers. There's hot lasers that generate heat that doctors use for cutting. And there's cold lasers that don't generate heat, but it's a specific wavelength of light that stimulates the inside of the cell, the mitochondria of the cells to speed up their healing. So it's just like if you have a plant and your plant isn't doing well, and then you put fertilizer in the plant, it's gonna speed up its growth. Is that magic? No, you're, you're giving nutrients to the plant. So we're putting energy, light photons into the cells. The cells then convert that energy and accelerate their healing. There's 50 years of double-blind, placebo-controlled, peer-reviewed medical study research documenting this. So anyone that has that doesn't believe in it, that's fine. I didn't in the beginning, and then I did the research, and I was like, holy cow, there's all these things. You know, the Earth emits an electromagnetic field. That specific wavelength also accelerates cellular healing. So if you focus these things, microcurrent, light, magnetic fields, into an area of, the, of an injured body. And then you're, you know, then my background as a chiropractor and, and specializing in neurology, then I'm taking, okay, well, I know the nerve supply to this is coming from this part of the brain or this part of the spinal cord. And I'm stimulating those areas as well as the injured area and just using the nervous system right out of uh, the same textbooks, you know, the medical textbooks that we all study to enhance that and speed up the healing. And finally, because I think putting into context a real life story, if you could pick either a professional athlete, an Olympian gold medalist, a, you know, IndyCar race champion or whoever it is that you're working with and the list goes on and on and on because we've been doing this for so many years, um, share with the people like a real life story about how this has worked with someone that, you know, maybe you didn't think would even be able to perform in the Olympics and end up winning a medal or some other story that you think best represents the power of the life force and being able to access that life force to expedite the healing. Sure. So in um, the winter of, or like, I guess, February of uh, 2012, which was the buildup to the London Olympic Games, 
I was at the U.S. Track and Field Indoor Championships with a, a hurdler, uh, Aries Merritt. He was always a good athlete, um, always made U.S. teams, but never medaled in a world championship. And now we're trying to build uh, for the London Olympics. And now here's his chance. He's running great. And at the, uh, in the semifinals of his race, which is 60 meters over hurdles, he sprains his ankle when he came down on a hurdle. And he was in agony. And when he crossed the finish line, he won his heat. He's only got two hours till the finals. And the interviewer from NBC says, hey, Aries Merritt, you just won the semis. You're going to get ready for the finals. And he said, no, I can't run. I just sprained my ankle. It's really bad. I can barely stand. So I'm not going to run in the finals. Well, we had just begun working together. And he didn't know exactly the scope of the things I can help with. So he came over to me and said, hey, Doc, I can't run. I said, what are you talking about? He told me a story. He said, well, let's get to work. So I started doing these things that I've been doing over the years. And his pain went down. And then he was able to stand pain-free. And then he could walk pain-free. And then he could slowly jog and he could go over a couple hurdles and all the time. All the while, that clock's ticking, ticking down. But finally, after working on it for about an hour and a half, he was able to run full speed, pain-free. He goes to the finals. He wins, wins his first national title. That put him on the U.S. team for the World Indoor Championships. He goes to the World Indoors. He wins the gold medal there. A few months later, we're at the Olympic trials, outdoor trials. He wins the uh, Olympic trials, makes the Olympic team. We go to London. He wins the gold medal in the Olympic Games. And two months after, or a month after that, he sets the world record, which is still the standing uh, world record in the men's 110-meter uh, hurdles. And who knows what would have happened if he didn't get that confidence and boost from winning a national title and then a world indoor title that then carried him through that confidence to then, you know, go to the Olympic Games and, and, and win. So that's amazing because I think it represents the life force and it doesn't just apply uh, to Olympians and professional athletes. Uh, I personally have experienced my own uh, family members, but more importantly, the CEO of my company who has had some chronic pain. You accessed the life force, healed him in the same respect. It didn't take as much work as healing a sprained ankle, um, <laughs> but it went far and beyond. And I see a unbelievable difference in his performance uh, by accessing the life force in a healing way uh, and leveraging the Western medical background that you have and experience, not just over a year, right? This is over decades and decades and decades. And I'm glad you chose, I knew, I thought maybe you'd choose a story from 2022, but I'm actually glad that you chose a story 10 years ago because everybody knows uh, with practice and you are in a medical practice that you only get better so you can imagine where we're at coming into 2023. If you want to access your life force, if you need healing in any way, reach out to the miracle man himself, Dr. Pascal, at Dr. Pascal. Thank you so much. He's an author, speaker, and an amazing healer. God has given him the greatest gift, the greatest capability that I know of, healing, being able to access your life force. Thanks for joining me, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you for having me, David. You're amazing.